Good morning. I cannot tell you how excited I am to be here. This is the first time I've been let out. And it did uh, cause a problem, however, because I didn't know what to wear. I've been wearing a uniform for the past year. And I certainly haven't done any shopping. So it's really fun to see these faces in person. Thank you for coming. Now, this next little intro is, may only make sense to you if this looks familiar to you. Now, of course, you may not know what a videotape is, but <laughs> anyway, this is from the Mickey Mouse Club, which started in 1955. Again, something you may not have heard of, 1955. <laughs> but I was there, and when I was 10 years old, I made it my purpose to be a Mouseketeer on the Mickey Mouse Club. I would run up the farm road where the bus dropped us in Steele, Missouri, and turn on our little black and white TV so that I could watch the Mickey Mouse Club show five days a week. I ordered the special t-shirt, it was a little uh, white turtleneck with short sleeves. And I asked my mother to please put my stenciled name, K-A-T-H-Y, on the front of the shirt. I had the mouse ears and I knew all the songs. I read everything that I saw about my idols. Darlene and Annette, Bobby and Cubby, some of you know about this. I read uh, anything because I just thought it was so great. Then, wonder of wonders, we visited my grandmother in Southern California that summer, and I could put my plan into action. I wore my shirt and my mouse ears to Disneyland, which had only been open a couple of years. And I waited for my happiness to be completed when they, whoever they were, would discover me and Kathy would be their newest musketeer. <laughs> Which would be even harder for you to visualize if you saw Kathy back in those days. <laughs> it turned out, though, that that was not my purpose in life. And I wonder if there's anyone here who has never wondered what is her purpose in life. The Westminster Shorter Catechism says that my purpose, or the chief end of man, is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. The Word of God says as to purpose, so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. From Romans, for from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. And what about this passage from Leviticus? For I am the Lord who brought you out of Egypt to be your God. You shall therefore be holy as I am holy. Peter repeats this in 1 Peter 1.16. This has been God's design for us from the beginning, to purify for himself a people for his own possession. I think as women, many of us are familiar with Titus 2, but you may not have read this far, that God wants to purify for himself a people for his own possession. We get all balled up trying to figure out God's will for us when he tells us very plainly in his word in 1 Thessalonians, for this is the will of God, your sanctification. I dare say most of us are familiar with and in agreement with all those statements, but like Paul David Tripp says, there is often a disconnect between our confessional theology and our street level or practical theology. We say one thing, but we do another. The choices we make and the anxieties we feel belie what we say we believe. We behave the way we behave because we believe the way we believe. Maybe we think God-honoring behavior is beyond our reach, or only for the super-Christians, or for those that we used to say were big in the church. 
I've been thinking a lot about this in the last few years, post-retirement, post-children in the home, wondering just what I should be doing with the remaining years. Do you know that God had something to say about one's sunset years when he was giving directions to Moses about the Levites retiring? This is in Numbers 8. And from the age of 50 years, they shall withdraw from the duty of service and serve no more. They minister to their brothers in the tent of meeting by keeping guard, but they shall do no service. So they were no longer doing their initial duties, but they transitioned into a different type of service, ministering to their brothers. The Bible says Abraham was 75 years old when he started on his fruitful years walking with God. So I am not a big fan of the American ideal and goal of retirement. Spending your life walking on the beach, looking for shells, and living on the golf course so you can play golf every day. Those are great ideas for vacation, but not for the rest of your life. I remember one author writing, what are you going to do when you get to heaven? Show God your shells or your golf handicap? And I was much older than those 50-year-old Levites when I retired as second mile director. But after reading and praying, I was able to make myself a scaled-down list of four things, and I've called it fit for heaven. You know, as you get older, a lot of things you thought were important kind of fall away. And all that stuff that you've been accumulating all those years, you start getting rid of it. So I wanted to take this list, a a pared-down list, and to flesh out the idea of purpose for the remaining years. And there are four areas in which I'm already focusing or should be focusing. Some of these areas are understandably broad, but they pretty much cover everything in my life, and I'll be referring to those areas as I continue with my talk. Which brings me to this new Women's Institute series on practical theology. We have had a series on biblical theology. That was followed by a series on how to study your Bible. These are all recorded and on the UBC website if you want to go back and listen to those. Our intellectual knowledge has grown, but how do we apply all that to our lives? What difference does knowing theology and knowing the mechanics of studying the Bible make regarding who God made us to be? How does it affect real-life community and discipleship within the church and how we daily live our lives in our singleness, our marriage, or our parenting? Basically, how do we walk with God in all the different seasons of life? What does it look like to be a faithful follower of Christ for your whole life long? The Bible speaks of several men who walked with God, and by inference, several women. In Genesis, it says that God actually walked in the garden, that paradise of perfection where Adam and Eve walked as well. Also, we read that after the fall, Enoch walked with God and was not, for God took him. In the New Testament, I believe it would be reasonable to infer that Anna, the first person to proclaim Jesus as the Christ, and Mary, the mother of Jesus, along with many other women, definitely walked with God. More importantly, God's people are actually commanded to walk with God in several passages. From the book of Joshua, it says, Only be careful to observe the commandment and the law that Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded you to love the Lord your God and to walk in all his ways and to keep his commandments and to cling to him and to serve him with all your heart and with all your soul. Solomon, in his prayer of dedication for the temple, said, O Lord God of Israel, there is no God like you in heaven above or in the earth beneath, keeping covenant and showing steadfast love to your servants, who walk before you with all their heart. The prophet Micah says, He has told you, O man, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God. 
So we know it must be possible to walk with God and that God commands it. At the same time, we know from Scripture that all of these people who walked with God were sinners. In fact, Adam was the first one to sin, and he actually lived in paradise. Unless you think I'm setting you up for failure and disappointment in aspiring to walk with God, remember that there was one man, Jesus the Messiah, who walked in all of God's ways, who did live that perfect, obedient life that we cannot and then was condemned and executed where we should have been so that we never would be punished for our sin. Because the Father accepted that sacrifice, Jesus rose from the dead, and now, repenting of our own sin and by faith trusting in Jesus' work, we can have the desire and the power to walk with God in all the seasons of life. If you would not call yourself a Christian, though, and you'd like to find out more about this, I hope that you will seek me out or talk to that friend that brought you today. Now let's move on to the second part of my outline, changes when walking with God in all seasons. So what do you think of when you think of the seasons of your life? Please look at Psalm 71 in your Bible, or it's on the um, back of your handout there. Let's look first at verse 6. Upon you I have leaned from before my birth. You are he who took me from my mother's womb. My praise is continually of you. Indeed, our creator is God, and he's the giver of life. Now skip down to verses 17 and 18. O God, from my youth... You have taught me, and I still proclaim your wondrous deeds. So even to old age and gray hairs, O God, do not forsake me until I proclaim God's might to another generation, your power to all those to come. And so I think that's what I'm trying to do today. You know, friends, there are plenty of books out there dealing with this subject. And it's humbling, and it's a difficult thing for me to stand before you, especially before those of you who know me well and talk about walking with God. And I do welcome questions and corrections from each of you, sisters. In fact, we are supposed to care for one another when we claim to be, as it says in Colossians, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught abounding in thanksgiving. We are supposed to see that no one takes us captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. So I want to be held accountable to this standard, and we are supposed to help one another do that. I've been praying for my preparation for this talk, asking for God's provision for each one of my hearers to receive words that would spur them on, maybe spear them on too, (laughs) to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. That's from Colossians. Therefore, uh, please jot down on your handout or in your chat function at home any questions you might have for me personally or about this topic. We have planned to save some time at the end of this morning, although I have absolutely no idea what time it is. (laughs) Okay, the womb to the grave and everything in between until we get to heaven. You know, I've been in most of those seasons, meaning times of life. And I have to chuckle. Um, uh, I think uh, Haley may have said something, or Brad said something about... Um, when you're getting, when you get older, and and what you don't realize is, we are all getting older. It's not just the old people that are getting older. And since I told you about 1955, you know that I was a little girl once. But because I became a, a Christian as a college student, only then did I begin to look at the seasons of life through a heavenly lens. 
God in his kindness only gradually began to remove my roughest edges and replace them with new desires. Seasons can mean in what roles were you engaged? Was it as a student, a wife, a mother, a professional, a grandmother? I have functioned in those roles as well. All of these roles contribute to the hard and pleasant seasons. I remember uh, sorority sisters snickering behind my back because of my newfound interest in gathering with other students, discovering what the Christian life might mean. I was taking those first tentative steps away from the culture. I remember as a young wife throwing myself down in tears over some unexpected perceived affront from my new husband. Or then being in tears because of seven years of infertility. It was during this period we learned from the modeling of Christian marriages in a small group setting. I remember those sleepless nights as a mother of infants when I didn't know I could survive but learned that God would supply rest. The psalmist says, I lay down and slept. I woke again for the Lord sustained me. I remember when I returned to work teaching school and came home one day to my latchkey child parked in front of the TV that we had told him he could not watch. How painful and fear-producing it was when that same child began to be more influenced by his peers than he was by his parents. That's when I gathered faithful praying moms around me. Do you know some of those same praying moms are still around me? Children leave home for school, and then they go to work, and then they get married. Before long, they have their own children. Suddenly, it seemed that I became a grandmother. Recently, I realized my grandchildren weren't going to need me forever either. When all the seasons of life are over, then what? Revelation 21 has some very thrilling words to say about heaven. And apparently, they indicate that seasons as we know them will not be evident in heaven. Instead, Jesus says, Behold, I am making all things new. Verse 23 reads, And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and its lamp is the Lamb. And verse 4, He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death will be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things, those seasons that we now know, have passed away. Sisters, I don't know what this is all going to be like in heaven, but I am content just to know from Psalm 16, whatever heaven is like, that we have a beautiful inheritance. In God's presence, there is fullness of joy. At his right hand are pleasures forevermore. How about you? Are you content with that knowledge? So we've talked about the purpose of walking with God and some of the changes that come in different seasons of life. But what about the process of walking with God? How do we go about walking with God along that spectrum of a whole lifetime? In New Morning Mercies for February 5th, Tripp says, God's grace not only provides you with what you need, but also transform you, transforms you into what he, in his wisdom, created you to be. What is it that gracious God has provided for us to ensure that our purpose is fulfilled in him? And how are you cooperating with him in your sanctification by receiving the gifts he has given you? And this brings me to the last part of my outline, the joy of walking with God. For me, there was quite a bit of floundering around before I discovered that God did indeed have a purpose for our lives. I did not grow up in a Christian family, and it was not until my college years that I actually heard the gospel. Because of only sporadic discipling in several different churches and locations, I was pretty much like those children Paul described in Ephesians, tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. This is when I found out that to know God 
I had to know his word. And this talk would have been a lot shorter if I could have just stood up here at the beginning and shouted, people, read your Bible. (laughs) Now, I don't think that probably surprises you if you know me and my personality. But what about you? Do you only run to God when you're desperate and despairing, maybe ignoring him when things are sailing along? Or do you agree with these authors? Gloria Furman. As Christians, we know that the word of God is our very lives, and yet our understanding of the nature and relevance of the Bible is often found wanting. I can't remember if it's Kathleen Nielsen or Catherine Nielsen. Spell check can mess you up, but anyway. She speaks of the treasure and sweetness of the sacred scriptures. And here's another challenging one to say. Christy Anya Buili. May the women in our churches be even more encouraged to choose the good portion, God's holy and inspired word. And Courtney Rysick, who uh, we had as a retreat speaker not too long ago. The great value of God's word is for all of life, even in the most mundane of days. Jonathan and Shannon Lehman, back to the remarkable power, authority, truthfulness, sufficiency, and clarity of God's perfect word. And all these quotes are by way of endorsement and introduction to Carrie Fulmer's book that Haley gave away, The Good Portion. But remember back to that fit for heaven list I said I made a few years ago? The first thing I wrote down on that list, number one, was everything I do in pursuing my relationship with God. His word in every manifestation, reading, studying, hearing, responding in worship, writing, prayer, are included in my first area of purpose. This is what God wants most from me. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. And this is a prayer that I pray for my children every single day. And friends, it starts with his word and all that his word leads to in the life of the Christian. Thankfully, years ago, I was invited to a good inductive Bible study where I was taught to study the Bible for myself. I was childless at this time and was able to devote hours to reading and listening and sitting quietly before the Lord as he began to teach me who he was. Sadly, This was not within the context of the local church. That came later. Some of you may have not had the luxury of a few years to yourself to establish a Bible study habit, but that does not mean that reading the Bible is optional. It just means that you have to use creativity and flexibility for how you provide for it. You might have to sacrifice something else. Through studying God's word, I did begin to know God and his character, his will, and his way, I learned that two of his attributes are that he is a personal God and that he speaks to us. It still remains thrilling to me that when we open a Bible, we are holding the very words of God. Let's look again at Psalm 71 on your handout to see some other attributes the psalmist knows to be true of God. Verse 1 says, God is his refuge. We can run to him, hide in him when we are fearful or discouraged, when we're sad. Verse 2 says God is righteous, his deliverer, his rescuer, his savior. We cannot save ourselves. God does that in his son, Jesus, and in his life and sacrifice on our behalf. Verse 3, God is his rock and fortress. The world is shifting sand. God is our solid ground. Verse 5, God is his hope and trustworthy. He is our sure anchor who keeps all of his promises. And there are many more attributes just in this psalm. I love searching for who God is as I read scripture. And then I appeal to who I know God is as I pray to him. And although we didn't set that up, that's exactly what Haley did this morning when she was praying. Speaking of prayer, as we read his word, we see more of who he is. We also see that his word is his will. 
The apostle, the apostle John writes, and this is the confidence that we have toward him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the requests that we have asked of him. And that's from 1 John. In other words, although God hears his children whenever we cry out to him, how can we know how to effectively pray without knowing his word? In addition, we know from God's word that he wants us in his word. And here I've personalized the first three verses of Psalm 1. Blessed is the woman who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but her delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law she meditates day and night. She is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that she does, she prospers. I propose that if we truly desire to walk with God, we will spend some time in his word every day. I was just thinking about, I'm sure there's other places you spend time every day. You know, maybe our phones and stuff like that. Um, set your mind on knowing God and your affection will follow. By spending time in his word, you will gradually desire more time in his word. You will get to the point that you actually crave his word. I also acknowledge that spending time in God's word will look differently in different seasons of life. But neither is there a season where we can use the difficulty of finding time as an excuse to exclude time in the word altogether. For one thing, it is the very word of God where you learn truths and are later reminded of these truths so that you can listen to them instead of those voices in your head. When I was younger, I learned whole passages and chapters of scripture. Lately, I don't seem to be as good at that for some reason. But on Facebook, believe it or not, I acquired an ABC method that a little four-year-old boy did, learning those shorter verses that you can actually access in the night or in a hospital bed or with a despondent friend. Meditating on the word of God like this day and night, as the psalmist encourages us, could enable us to even envision the mundane duties of life as God-glorifying. Now I'm going to skip down to number three, <clears throat> three on my fit for life, fit for heaven list of four. And that one that I have come up with is his glory on display. Now this takes in everything regarding stewardship of my home. Yes, that's cleaning up the kitchen, doing the wash, attending to my health, and so on. But let me be clear that I'm not saying that some sort of quiet time prescription, that there is one from which you cannot vary. There is no shame in coming to God with what you have. God is not going to zap you when you oversleep or when your baby interrupts. But I am saying that by not being in the word, you will over time not want to be in the word. You cannot walk with God by trying to subsist on an hour and a half on Sunday mornings any more than you can subsist on one meal a week. Some of you might be thinking, as I was when I heard this admonition early in my walk with God, and I remember swinging back and forth from legalism to guilt. Do I still advocate reading your Bible every day? Yes, I do. But I have a simple solution to this. Just like you take baby steps when you're learning to walk, so get in the Bible habit step by step when you're learning to walk with God. That's not to say you won't have to give up something else. But if you know you should read the Bible, I suspect you also know there's something else you should or would be willing to leave out in order to spend that time in the Word. For your encouragement, here's a beginning point. I advise everyone who will hear me to always be reading the Bible through. I don't mean read it in a year, although that's one goal you might have. But everyone can leave her Bible open or put a marker in where she has left off, and then you just pick up where you left off. 
It might mean one verse or one chapter or one book a day, but just keep reading. Now, this is not study. It is just reading, and it lends itself to any time of day. As an aside, and with the caveat that I do have a smartphone, reading the Bible on your phone is not the same. Don't get me wrong, I'm so thankful I have a Bible on my phone, and that most other people do too. It's great to be looking things up quickly or when you don't have your Bible with you. But I remember reading a study a couple of years ago about how reading the Bible on your phone is less likely to be meditative or comprehended. Let's be honest, you cannot just leave your Bible open and ready to pick up where you left off if it's on your phone with a hundred other apps you scroll through. A young mom I know with six children keeps her Bible open on her counter where she works throughout the day. Some women leave it by their bedside. Others open their Bibles at lunch at the workplace. Most days now, I have no children in the home. And so I have the luxury of an undisturbed place and plenty of time. Although there is no formula, there are plenty of ideas out there to help you. So if you want to do this, I suggest that you ask a respected sister what she does, especially if she has been or if she is in your season of life. Importantly, the Bible should be the place where you go for truth. Where are you going for truth? A trendy podcast or a favorite blog? Social media posts from your friends? How are you going to determine error in these places if you do not have the plumb line of God's word for a measure? Finally, getting into the Bible will give you a taste for more of God, more of God himself. You will see that knowing and loving and obeying God is circular. You don't have one without the other. When I began to love God for who he is and not just for what he does for me, the desire grew within me to please him in all my ways and to serve him. I should also make you aware of a sweet phenomenon. You may not be able to relegate God's word to once a day and then check it off. You may find yourself seeking different types of reading in the Bible and then studying. There were several summers when I read the Bible in 90 days, which is an actual thing with markers on it, on a treadmill. That was a kind of speed reading for familiarity and a quick overview of the entire Bible. When I was working in the youth department, along with Danny Wright, and some of you may know this, he taught us to read a proverb a day for a month. And I think Brad actually, or somebody referred to that this last week. Mike Lumpkin taught us a simple way to read through the Psalms in a month. There are many different approaches to make provision for God's unchanging, eternal word in your life. And obviously, there is a time for a lingering study of short passages with notebook and pen in hand. Sitting and meditating with journal reflection is such a salve for me, as is sending a text or talking with a friend about what I just read in God's word. Many times as I am praying through our member directory, I will pray what I've just read that morning. If you are ready to dip those walking toes into studying, a short and easy place to start might be to just look at the passage for next Sunday's sermon. You can start with easy questions of observations like, who are the people in this passage? What is happening? What does it say about God? I promise you the elders will be very happy if you do this. And there are Bible studies going on right now in our church. You can um, ask Haley about that or check out our UBC website. Finally, on my outline, let's turn to loving others. And this is in the local church I first talk about because I want to express to you right now my joy of being back here in this place. And, you know, you take things for granted over time, I suppose. But when I've been removed for a year, it's absolutely a thrill to me to see your faces, my family. We don't have to be lone rangers in our quest to walk with God. God has provided a fellowship of believers for each one of us. Yes, believers around the world are part of his body. 
but we function as a local body, kind of like a family, with all its foibles. Not perfect. We love one another in spite of different preferences and quirks. We serve one another in need. We rejoice and we grieve with one another. But unlike most familial ties, we have the singular goal of seeking the spiritual good of one another as we lift high the name of Christ together in the local body. Here, too, the word of God is central. According to the UBC Statement of Faith, the Bible is the complete and perfect treasure of heavenly instruction that it has God for its author. The teaching, hymns, prayers are all based in God's word. Another reason for you, sister, to be doing your own personal study. Remember the Bereans? Now these Jews were more noble than those in Thessalonica. They received the word with all eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. You really have an obligation. We really have an obligation to be familiar with God's word for the sake of the, the preaching and teaching that we hear. I am so thankful that our church is full of resources to help facilitate the word in our lives. In addition to our gatherings, ordinances, elders, and each other, we have the statement of faith, we have classes, and opportunities to serve and explore our gifts. Everything the church does is a part of our discipline or discipleship. Did you know that? I've learned so much about loving the people God has given me here. Like the Bible, personal discipling overflows into every area of your life. Once you have begun to study the Bible for yourself, why not grab another sister and read the Bible together? We cannot let the fear of man prevent us from the joy of sharing the Bible with others. In fact, you might be familiar with the mandate in Titus 2, 5, for older women to teach the younger. The first time I formally discipled someone, I was asked by a younger woman in our church to disciple her. In addition, Light Bears, which is headed up by our own Kevin McCollum and Brett Arndt, matches up their residential students from our church with willing mentors. This has been a great way for me to get to know women in our church on a deeper level. And it has brought me great joy and great good. Discipling is simply walking beside someone else and showing how you have walked and are walking with God. It is being committed to pray for someone else. It is not displaying the perfect Christian life, but the growing Christian life. I like to say we are walking each other to heaven. Along the way, you are able to listen and share your learned wisdom. You are able to encourage as you have been encouraged. It is pointing the other woman toward God and his word. Several years ago, I asked a woman in our church who was just a little older to disciple me. She still is. She's still older and she's still discipling me. We no longer meet often, but I still consult her. I seek her out to pray for me because I know she knows me now. She listens well and thoughtfully responds. She doesn't condemn me, but offers her wisdom and points me to God and his word. If you have a husband and children living in your home or are working outside the home, the people there have some immediate, maybe even urgent needs you have to attend to. And as you go, you are spreading the fragrance of Christ, as Paul speaks of. This is in um, Corinthians, 1 Corinthians. But thanks be to, sorry, 2 Corinthians. But thanks be to God who in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession and through us spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of him everywhere. For we are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To one, a fragrance from death to death. To the other, a fragrance from life to life. Evangelism and discipling start first with those right around you. So this is number two. So we went from one to three. Now back to two on my personal fit for heaven list. The people God has given me. That includes my family and those I disciple. 
I have a high responsibility for them and to them, and I desire that they too would walk with God in all the seasons of their lives. In addition, there are people in my neighborhood God has put in my path, and I am eager to bring them into the family of God. But in order to have something of eternal value to give the people God gives to us, we have to have the word of God in us. God and his word are all there is to determine if people will spend eternity in heaven with them. We have this opportunity as we walk through the seasons of our lives, in effect, seasoning our lives, to display his glory by loving them in the best possible ways as the word of God bears fruit in our lives. I have to tell you, these have been the most joyful opportunities of the last few years. Oh, sisters, do not let these opportunities go by because of fears and insecurities. In case any of you are keeping track, I do have a number four on my Fit for Heaven list. And I titled it, After I'm Gone. How can I impact others after I'm gone? I will be forgotten one day, but I can leave an important legacy. I can try to impact others by helping them look heavenward. I want to impress my grandchildren with the value of God's word in their lives. So here's something that I've come up with, and I've asked God to give me enough years to do this, but I am gradually buying each one a journaling Bible, and I'm reading them through one by one, year after year, adding my own underlines and some personal notes and prayers that they can have one day and add to them. And here's one of those coincidences. This morning in my quiet time, of course, I read Psalm 71, verse 18 again. So even to old age and gray hairs, O God, do not forsake me until I proclaim your might to another generation, your power to those who come. But then in my grandson's Bible that I'm currently reading, I'm, I've just gotten to Judges, so I was reading Judges chapter 2. If you have your Bibles, you can look at that, but I'm going to read this to you. Now remember, this is just where I happen to be today. But in Judges 2, verse 8, it says, And Joshua, the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died at the age of 110 years. I didn't ask for that. But. And they buried him within the boundaries of his inheritance. And all that generation also were gathered to their fathers. And there arose another generation after them who did not know the Lord of the work that he had done for Israel. And the people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, and they served the Baals. They abandoned the Lord, the God of their fathers, who had brought them out of the land of Egypt. They went after other gods from among the gods of the peoples who were around them. And they were in terrible distress. This is my heart for him, for my grandson, that he would know and love the Lord, that he would not go after other gods. And this is my heart for you. Now you might think it is quite a leap from desiring to be a musketeer to desiring to be a godly older woman. But I can tell you, 60 years later, it is simply step by step, precept upon precept. Bible truths build upon one another. My first purpose was not to be. It was the childish dream of this child. Here is a better purpose for all of us. And this is from 1 Peter. So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. I have tasted that the Lord is good, and I still desire to be a godly older woman. Walking with God may have begun in response to his command to walk with God. It may have started as duty, but I am finding that as I have delighted in him, he has given me the very precious desires of my heart, which he placed there when he created me in his image. 
I like the way Eugene Peterson describes it. Walking with God in the seasons of life is simply a long obedience in the same direction. Won't you join me on that path? Let's pray. You who have done great things, O God, who is like you? We praise you for your faithfulness. May we respond by seeking to know you and love you and obey you all the days of lives. May we respond by proclaiming your wondrous deeds, by proclaiming your might to another generation. Help us to walk with you in all the seasons of life for the sake and fame of your name. We pray because of and in the matchless name of Jesus. Amen. Now, I have no idea what time it is, but it's 10 o'clock just now. But uh, I would like to open myself up for questions, and then I have a couple of guests that we're going to um, ask questions of as well. So if you've jotted down something at home, then they'll see that up there, I guess. And if anybody has any questions... Yes. Well, the latest one was this morning. <laughs> I, uh, this is not really my thing to do this. I prefer not to stand up in front of people. And I don't think I'm particularly gifted in that way, but I was being responsive to him, him asking me. And, but this very morning, I shared with you and I added to my talk what I saw in... Um, uh, judges this morning, and I thought that he wanted me to share that. And um, so many times I'll also uh, f believe that the Holy Spirit might be directing me to share something with someone else or to, um, you know, write a note, things like that. And so I hope that I am cooperating with him. And um, yeah, I'm sorry I did not repeat that question, which was always one of my pet peeves when I was watching this online. <laughs> Haley asked um, if there were any specific times that I could uh, recall what it looked like to cooperate with God in his sanctification. Is that correct? Yeah. Anybody else? No, it was just one of those kind of... Oh, she's asking about the ABC method. And I just saw this little four-year-old boy, and someone would prompt him and say A, and then he would say a verse that started with A. And I realized this is what I needed when I didn't have my Bible in front of me, when I was having those thoughts in the night, or I'm alone in the hospital. And so what I did is, first of all, I have a, a friend that is... Uh, amenable to doing this with me, and that helps a lot. You know, you have somebody to report to. And so I picked verses that I wanted that would start with those letters. And for instance, my first one is Psalm 29.2, A, ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. And uh, I'm up to Q now. Do you know there's not really any in the ESV that start with Q? So <laughs> we may have to go to the King James, which has quicken. So, and, and they weren't just any random verses. They were verses that seemed to be verses of strength or praise or something like that. So it is really fun, and I'll be glad to share mine with you. I believe that was Debbie that asked. Can't see, but I can hear. Uh, and, um, you know, and I think that's probably more meaningful to select verses that would be helpful to you and 
So anyway, that's what I've done, and uh, my friend has willingly done it with me. So we're up to cue. Yes. So, again, Lynn was asking about or relating resource for learning an ABC method. And I'm just reminded by Mary Grace, there is a resource of ABCs that has a verse or an attribute on it. And uh, why not? You know, instead of A for apple, you know, why not A for ascribe to the Lord, the glory to his name? So, uh Good. So we're kind of brainstorming here. Anybody else? All right. I uh, thank you for your attentiveness, and I hope you will ask me more later and correct me more later. And uh, right now, I have asked um, Jennifer Giddon and Diana Page to join uh, me up here on the stage. I realized as I was preparing this talk that there are seasons of life I'm not really very familiar with. And so uh, I asked uh, Diana, <laughs> there it goes, uh, to uh, talk about uh, seasons of life in relation to being a widow. And then I've asked Jennifer to talk about the seasons of life in relation to being a single. And so uh, how much time do we have? About 20 minutes. Okay. So maybe you could be my time person for each one of them. So like 5, 10, 15, 20. Yeah, thank you. Um, so uh, I'll start with you, uh, Jennifer. My first question is, in what ways has God been faithful in your growing sanctification during this season? Well, I should preface this by saying that singleness is not just a season for me. It is my entire life. It is all that I have ever known. Um, and what I've discovered that sanctification um, in a single person's life has a distinct flavor to it regardless of your age. Um, the details may stay the same, but the core remains. I mean, the details may change as you um, get older, but the core remains the same. There is singleness in and of itself bears an imprint from God, that a single person's life has a very unique, um, or is intended to say something very unique about who God is, a very particular aspect of who he is, and that is that he is sufficient in all things. Every day of a single person's life is a li living, breathing reminder to a watching world that Christ is enough. He is better than anything. He is better than anyone that this world has, has to offer. And he is worth devoting your life to. Um, he is the one who keeps me safe. He is the one who helps me. He is the one who loves me. He is the one who secures my future. He is the one I entrust my life to because I have no other. There's no other substitute I can put into him. I have no other option. It is him and him alone, and he has been faithful um, to be there for me. Um, and so, you know, when I come home from work day after day, month after month, to an empty house and sit on an empty couch, God is faithful to remind me that Christ is enough that although loneliness and despair can certainly creep in, that they don't stay because I'm not alone and I never have been alone. When I hear a loud bang in my supposedly empty house at 2 o'clock in the morning, <laughs> God is faithful to remind me that Christ is enough, that, that my hope does not come from that bat that I have in my hands as I'm creeping towards the kitchen, discovering that my opponent is the ice maker. 
But my hope comes from the Lord. That's where my eyes turn. He is my rock, he is my fortress. When I watch all of my single friends get married, and each wedding invitation is just that little jab, that little salt in the wound. And you wonder, how did you miss out on that? Is it just that you were unlovable? Were you undesirable? God is faithful to remind me that Christ is enough. That I am loved by someone with a deeper love, with an unearned love, an unending love that is greater than any person could ever show me here. And I'm reminded that when being single and following Christ means being celibate, and you have no sex life to speak of. God is faithful to remind me that Christ is enough, and you can reject the world's view that you cannot possibly be fully human unless you have a sexual partner to share it with, that no one could possibly live a life without that. Christ is enough. That sexual intimacy is not the ultimate. What we have in Christ is that he is enough. And I've seen God provide for me every single day of my life for 40 years and counting now. The details change, but the core, remains, the core message remains the same, that Christ is enough. And we all, we all live in this anticipation of a greater thing coming, that the greatest thing is yet to come. What's unique about the single life is that you get to testify to that goodness now in your present life each day because you get a taste of it every single day of God's sufficiency for you in every need. Thank you. And great testimony. I'm, um, I'm going to ask others to be you know, ready to ask questions maybe in a little bit. Okay, but I want to give uh, Diana a chance to speak to widowhood. It's really interesting that um, when I got the question that Catherine uh, sent out to us about this, and then I saw the verses that she had chosen, I thought, well, she's already answered it. I mean, it's all right there. She's already told you everything. Um, God has shown me his sufficiency, and the gro I guess the growth in my sanctification has been um, growing deeper in his word, which is what she has talked about this morning. Um, the Bible, to me, is not a book. The Bible is the living, true, it's God. It's his truth. It's his word. It's him speaking specifically to me. I sit down and I talk with him through the scriptures. And so I think that has been part of my sufficiency is that growing deeper in his word. And he's opened up doors for me um, after I became a widow that I, he might have opened them otherwise, but I wouldn't have walked through them. And so because of that, I mean, um, he, not long after Walt passed away, um, and it was sudden, it wasn't anything we were expecting, and so um, someone came to me and said, would you be willing to do such and such? And I had that happen before. I would have said, I'd love to, but I'm just real, I just really can't. I wouldn't have asked God about it. I just would have said, no, I can't do it because of other responsibilities. But it was like the Lord was saying, I'm bringing this into your life because I want you to do this now. And I have made provision for it, and I have um, arranged it. And so it was such a blessing to me. But I want to share, I have to tell you about these scriptures, because these are scriptures that have stood me through these three years. And they're the scriptures that Catherine used. 71, Psalm 71, 9, do not cast me off in the time of old age, and do not forsake me when my strength fails. Well, I'm, I'm so glad you said everybody's getting older. I am old. You know, I have reached that point in life where I can actually say, hey, I'm old. But it, it, there brings lots of good stuff with being old and being able to say that. Um, but I didn't want to be cast off. I didn't want to not be of use to the Lord um, as I grew older. And so that's a verse that I have prayed that he would continue to use me. Um, and my strength does fail uh, often. 
And then in 18, even when I'm old and gray, do not forsake me until I declare your strength to this generation and your power to all who are to come. He has allowed me the privilege and the blessing for the last 19 years to lead a group of women in the study of his word. And um, I mean, I cannot tell you what a blessing those women are to me. And after my loss, I, Tuesday mornings were the, I mean, that was my whole thing, was to be there. And I did not miss a week when Walt passed away. Where else? And the Sunday when I came to church after Walt's passing and the funeral, and someone said it to me, and I said, where else would I be? This is my strength. God is my sufficiency. God is my strength. There's no place else for me to go or to be. And I can relate to what Jennifer said not in the same context, but in the same emotion and in the same feelings. God is always there. I am not alone. Um, I'm an only child. I thought I had, you know, a family, but, I mean, a large one when I was growing up. But actually, I am the, I have one other member that's alive. She's older than I am. Um, my family's gone. I have one son and my grandchildren, but I have God, and I'm not alone, and I have never been alone. I don't know whether Jennifer does this, but I walk in the house sometimes, and instead of saying, hi, Walt, I'm home, I'll say, hey, Lord, I'm here. You know, let's, let's get busy. I, I, I do that with God because I am not by myself. There's one other thing I want to share. Um, many years ago, the Lord took Walt and I somewhere. Um, he moved us, and here we go to Psalm 1. I mean, Catherine was in my head doing this. You know, she just knew exactly where I was going to go. But I claimed that verse. He moved us to California for what we thought was going to be a permanent situation. We ended up being there a very brief period of time and bringing us back. But I was in a Bible study, and I couldn't believe the Lord was taking me away from my roots and my peoples and my the only way I knew to study. And I came across this verse that said, he will be like the tree plant, plant, firmly planted by the streams of water, which yield its fruit in its season. Its leaf does not wither, and whatever he does, he prospers. I claimed that verse while we were there, little knowing how the Lord was going to use that verse all these years later that he planted me firmly, my roots are in the Lord, and my roots are in his word. And because of that, he gives me the strength. And the prosper is spiritually, and I cannot tell you how he has prospered me spiritually. And part of it is being that, having that time that Catherine talked about, I don't have anybody in my home. God has blessed me. Um, I am no longer physically alone in my home because he brought this little four-legged creature to me that um, now uh, consumes an enormous amount of my time and wakes me up at 6.30 in the morning and all these sort of things. But it's all God, and God planted me firmly. And the last thing I want to share about this is, and I don't know whether, well, I'm going to share it here. And it's from Streams in the Desert. Now, Streams in the Desert is to me what New Morning Mercies are these newer things that you younger girls are reading, which I am reading with you, and they're wonderful. But if I'm in the pits, I go to streams in the desert. And Annie Johnson Flint wrote something that says, His grace is great enough to meet the great things, the crashing waves that overwhelm the soul, the roaring winds that leave us stunned and breathless, sudden storms beyond our life's control. And he met me there in those storms that I was not prepared for, that I had no indication. No, I didn't know what to do. And he met me in the big ones. But then, this is the, this is the gem, the nugget, the gold part. His grace is great enough to meet the small things, the little pinprick troubles that annoy the insect worries, the buzzing and the persistent and the squeaking wheels that grate upon our joy. Those, it's not the big things. We're prepared for the big things. 
And we know God is in the big things, but it's those daily things, which I think Jennifer spoke to. Those daily little things that Walt had always done. I didn't have the faintest idea how to do them. But God walked me through them. He's, his sufficiency is there. There's always a large balance that's credited to us in our account in heaven's bank. And it's waiting for us to exercise our faith to draw from it, to draw heavenly on God's resources. And I can say that in widowhood, those, I have learned the greatness of those resources and have found the strength there in that. So, The second question, I feel like they already answered in the first question. The second question says... What joys have you experienced in these, this season? And many of the things they already said sound like joys to me. So what additional do you have to say about the joys in this season, Jennifer? Um, well, I think um, a biggest joy has, seen, has been seeing a church become your family, um, having long conversations with friends that last until midnight and you can do that when you're single because you don't have anything to go home to <laughs> um, and just having deep conversations with them about your fears about your dreams encouraging each other through the word um, not realizing that all that time has passed that brings me joy um, having invitations from four different families for an Easter lunch all who said hey I just wanted to make sure you weren't alone and while you're grateful for that, you're also trying to figure out, okay, how do I make this work so I can get four lunches today <laughs> and not have them know? <laughs> um, it's things like that from people stepping um, up beside you where you get to see that, you know, your family is really your brothers and sisters in Christ, that even your, your husbands, even your, your children become your brothers and sisters in Christ. And you see that, and you see what, what that family means in terms of being in the kingdom of God. That brings me a great, great joy. Mm. Thank you. My joy, my joy is short and sweet. Not lengthy like the other one. Uh, it's seeing God's provision through my friends. It's seeing them be there whenever I needed someone, whenever I needed something. And it was the interesting thing and the joy part of it is I didn't have to ask them. They were just there. They just knew. And I knew that was God's provision. The other thing is continuing to be able to lead others in the study of God's word. My le I mean, what I want, you've got your little legacy that you're doing. My legacy is I want, when I'm gone, for people to know that she loved the word of God. And I want, that's my, my thing, is to give that love to, to draw other women into the love of the word because the word is God. So there's my joy. Thank you. Wow, these were really good. Um, I think maybe some of you might have come up with some question or comment or something in this time, and uh, this would be your great opportunity. Anything about anything? Well, I hope that you will um, reach out to uh, myself or Jennifer or Diana if you have other things that you would like to uh, talk about privately with them. Um, I know this has been even more of a joy now that I've finished doing this. <laughs> but I can also attest to God's faithfulness uh, as I've been obedient to do something I really did not want to do in some regards. I told the people that approached me that, on the one hand, I was excited about this because this is something I am passionate about, the Word of God and discipling. But on the other hand, you know, when you think about yourself, then there's that f fearful element. But um, God has been faithful in that, too.